You know, this morning, I want to talk just real briefly about um, success and our definition of success. You know, we've been talking about the call. We've been talking about um, God placing his call on every one of us in the room. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been called. You've been called to a relationship with him. And you've been called to live out that relationship in everything that you do. But what I want to kind of just touch on right now is this idea of success. Is anybody in the room not interested in success? You know, we all want to be a success. We all want to succeed at whatever we do. Uh, I know the guys that are, are playing on the basketball team we've just started want to succeed. You know, years ago we had a basketball team, uh, and I was on it, if you can imagine that. And we didn't succeed very often. Uh, we didn't win a lot of games. Uh, we had a lot of fun, but we didn't win much. And nobody likes to lose. Everybody likes to win. And if you look at our culture, we're obsessed with success. You know, we, we love the winner. We, we hate the losers. The other night, I was Monday night watching the, the football game with my son. And it didn't take me long to really just get irritated, you know, with the way the Cowboys were playing. And, and my son wants to watch every second of the game from the minute it starts to the minute it ends. I'm kind of a fair weather fan because, you know, about third quarter, I'm after the fifth turnover, I was gone. I'm just, OK, we're turning this off. Dad, it's not over yet. I said, yeah, it's over. They're done. And of course, I wake up the next morning and he listened to it on his radio up in his room. Uh, he said, Dad, they won. I said, yeah, I know. I missed it. You know, the greatest game, you know, probably will go down and I missed it. But um, we, I love a winner. I, I don't like watching people lose. I don't like watching the Cowboys lose. I don't like watching the Mavs lose. I, I like a winner. I like success. And that's true of me. It's true of every guy in this room. And it just dawned on me that look at the TV shows that are really popular right now. Uh, they, they kind of run the gamut, but these are just the few that kind of came to my mind. America's Got Talent. You know, I think I've seen this show once. I'm not really sure why it's popular, but it is. And it's all about somebody winning. You know, they don't celebrate the losers. They celebrate the winners. And, of course, everybody's favorite, American Idol, uh, another show I can't stand, but my, my kids love it. And it's all about winners. Nobody celebrates the person who came in third place. They celebrate the person who came in first place, the winner, the one who succeeds. How about the biggest loser? This one I had never seen, and I don't know that I ever want to, but it's about individuals who are brought on this show to see who can lose the most weight. And from what I understand, it's, it's you know, you get kicked off the show if you don't lose enough weight. It, it's all about Succeeding. It's all about being the winner. It's a competition. There seem to be so many competitive shows on right now. Then, there, of course, there's the ultimate fighter. You know, the, these UFC, you know, fighting shows that are, they're just growing like wildfire. Everybody's getting in on the act. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that Breedlove does. Uh, yes, he needs to have his head examined. But it's all about the winner. There's also the, the contender, the boxing version of this same thing. So you have all these different shows. And the truth is, what do we do? We celebrate success. We love a winner. We applaud success. We desire success. And many of us envy success. When somebody else succeeds, we envy it. But here's a question for you. What's the true definition of success? What's the true definition? What's God's definition? How does he define success? Because that's really... The important question. 
Is it money? You know, if you're going through the, the series right now with the church on the fall campaign, you know, we've talked about the better life versus the good life. And hopefully by now it's, it's gotten through to you that it's, it's not about money. It's not about just achievement. We have a lot of successful men in this room, men who have achieved a lot in their life. They're successful financially. They're successful in their careers. But is success tied to achievement in God's mind? No. Is it fame, fortune? Is it having more friends? Is it relationships? Is that success? That's how the world measures success. But is that how God measures success? Let's let's look at this. This is is from uh, Lloyd Reeb from a book he wrote called From Success to Significance. If you've never read it, I really encourage you to do so. Listen to what he says. The Bible gives a clear definition of what it considers a successful life. God may have enabled you to attain many of your first half goals and allowed you to acquire many material things. Now, he talks about the first half and the second half of your life. That you go through life and you live this first half. And then you reach a point where you go, what am I going to do with the rest of my life, the second half of my life? So maybe in the first half, you've reached some goals, material things, yet you know that those things will never satisfy your soul or provide long-term value. His, God's true blessing, is not found there. The Bible challenges us to redefine success in higher terms than wealth, favor, and eminence. We are to pursue God's favor and His eternal reward by using our time, our talent, and treasure in as leveraged a way as possible to become rich in good deeds. By doing this, God counsels us that we will make the ultimate investment one that will reap eternal dividends. It's a little bit different than what the world says. It's a lot different than what the world says. Matter of fact, over in Ephesians 2.10, this is a verse you should have looked at if you did your homework. It says, we are his workmanship. We are his creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So we've been created by God. We've also been called by God. And we've been created for a purpose. I love the way the message says it. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. I love that last phrase, work we had better be doing. See, God has called you and I, God has equipped you and I, and God has a work for us to do that is significant, highly significant. You were created for good works. Those are just simply good deeds. Things that God has deemed as worthy. Now we do a lot of stuff, don't we? We're very busy. We do a lot of deeds during the day. Some work related, some home related, some personal related. But God has some good works already lined out for you to do. Already lined out. But what what works are you doing? What do you do with your time? What do you do with your energy? What are you doing that's going to outlast you? Maybe you're building a business. That business will outlast you. But does that business necessarily have eternal significance? Eternal significance. It could, but does it? What are you doing that's going to outlast you? What kind of work could God 
already have prepared, the God of the universe, have lined out for you to do that you're not yet doing. And guys, I want you to keep hearing this because I, I want every man in the room to understand that you have something, God has something, lined out for you to do. Are you doing it? Do you even have a clue what it might be? And the, the truth is, you may say, no, I don't have a clue. And the truth is, you may say, I don't want to have a clue. I really don't want to know what that is because I'm kind of content where I am. But if the God of the universe has created you, he's called you, he's equipped you, and he's got something from before the foundation of the world lined out for you to do, wouldn't you want to know it? And wouldn't you want to do it? And be doing the work he's equipped you to do. This morning, I've uh, once again invited somebody to come up to share with you. Uh, somebody who's one of our own, been a member of Christ Chapel for a number of years. He's a deacon. He's a successful attorney. Um, and I've asked him to come up and just share what God has done in his life. How God has called him to something pretty significant. And in doing this, I in no way want to tell you guys that you need to go and do likewise. What I want you to hear is how God has spoken to this guy's heart, how he listened, how he obeyed, and now what God is doing in his life and through his life. So give a welcome to Brandon Bamey. talk to bigger groups, uh, but not groups that I have so much respect for. And I, um, they say when you try lawsuits, lawyers should never stand up in front of a jury and remind them that nothing they say is evidence, because it basically says don't listen to anything I have to say. Um, but I do want to give a disclaimer. Um, I, uh, I'm humbled to be up here. Um, I don't feel very worthy. Um, This is part of that changed heart uh, I'll talk about later. But um, I see guys in the crowd that are doing um, what I'm going to be talking about, and uh, they'd probably be better at it than me. But um, I've, uh, I've kind of looked at my life in the, in, like a football game, a first half, uh, a halftime, and a second half, and uh, ultimately there's going to be an end score or an outcome. Um, I'd like to take you through that just a little bit. Um, uh, first half of my life, I think, is pretty much the same for all of us. Um, you may be in it, you may be past it, but uh, I, can't, I called it the, the learning and earning, uh, the gaining and the getting. Um, I didn't really have any big plan. Um, I just knew what I had to do. I had to get through high school with good enough grades to get into college. I had to get through college good enough to get into law school. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, sick thing, but uh, that was uh, what I always wanted to do. Um, I uh, knew I had to get out of law school with good enough grades to get a job. Uh, once I got a job, I knew I had to uh, uh, work hard, um, make uh, friends with the right people, and um, be in the right places at the right time so that I could move up the ladder. Um, and I'm good at it. 
um, and I enjoy it. Um, I love being a lawyer. Um, it is something that I know that God made me to do. Um, there was a hiccup in my career about three years into it. I started off doing defense work, um, and I just found that just really didn't float my boat. Um, I've just... Uh, I like to be large and in charge, and as an associate, you know, you get to sharpen pencils and carry briefcases. So uh, I left the defense side and went to the plaintiff side, and uh, I kind of found my, my, my sweet spot. I found my groove. Uh, that's where I really felt like I excelled, and, uh, and I did. Um, first case I ever tried uh, by myself, uh, I got a multi-million dollar verdict. It has nothing to do with my talent. It was the worst tried case in the history of Tarrant County. Um, And I know that because I was there. I was petrified. If my professor from law school had been there at closing arguments, he would have objected and asked for my bar card. I was was scared. Um, I, I was forced into a situation that I was not prepared for. It was not my case. It was my older partner's. Um, he uh, kind of handed it to me and said, go down and try it. And uh, the jury, um, uh, when I was picking the jury, um, the entire panel almost blew up in my face because I told them that I was going to be asking for several million dollars. Um, and I fought them just to let me at least you know, get on the evidence before they threw me out of the courtroom. Um, after the trial was over with, um, I had argued uh, for $3 million. The jury came back and awarded four. The jury came back and the uh, panel, uh, the jury four-person said that um, we wanted to make sure that if they appealed this, that there would be some extra money in the end uh, to cover all those expenses. Um, and I'm telling you, there's never been a jury that's ever said that to me since. Um, I knew, looking back on that, that God was involved in a huge way. That result and everything else in my life has been, um, because of my ego, I think God has shown me that um, even with my ego, I can't take credit for so many of the things that he's done in my life. And all of those things have you know, brought me to where I am today. The first half of my life, um, I have a wonderful wife, I have a wonderful law practice, I have great parents, I have great health, I've got great friends, I have a great church. Um, you know, there was nothing in my life that I really could look at and say that I, I lacked. Uh, I was very happy um, in everything I did. Um, and I was part of the right groups, I, and, and I'm not putting down any of this. It was part of my process that God was putting me through, even though I didn't know it. Um, I, we were involved in the all-church home. Uh, I loved that work, but it just it wasn't my heart. Uh, we were involved in Presbyterian Night Shelter. I volunteered down there. Um, I liked it, but it wasn't something that I was stoked about. Um, Union Gospel Mission, I made a swim through there. Um, American Cancer Society, uh, we hosted the ball, the Cowtown Ball, and did that for four or five years. Um, my wife lost her dad to cancer, and it became important to her, and I, you know, it was important to me. All of those things, I came to learn later on and looking back was kind of uh, my, uh, my, my seismic testing. I think God was putting me through some service hurdles to see kind of what I liked, uh, what I was built for. Uh, and I ruled all of those out. Those were not, you know, what made me happy. It wasn't what gave me pleasure. Um, and 
it wasn't until in 2003 that um, my wife said that uh, she was going to go on a mission trip, um, and uh, it was uh, two or three uh, at the time back in 2003, um, and one of them was Brazil. And I, uh, I had a busy trial calendar, but I said, I'm going to go with you. Um, you know, I might go too. No, you can't go to the meeting. If you're not, only people who are really committed to going can go to the meeting. Well, I said, well, I'm going to go anyway, and I'm going to listen, and I, you know, I might go. Um, I went to that meeting, um, it was at Daryl Holden's house, there were eight of us, um, and uh, you know, it sounded like fun to me. It, it was no great plan of mine, I was not looking to evangelize the world, I was basically looking to give back a little bit of what God had given me so abundantly. Um, uh, I did not become deliberate in looking for my uh, purpose in life until much later. Um, but. Uh, there was something about going on mission trips. I, I love to travel. I love people. And I thought, you know, um, it's Central South America. Um, I thought they spoke Spanish. Uh, it turns out they speak Portuguese. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, it's near the beach. I like, you know, wearing shorts and T-shirts. That all fits with my um, comfort zone. Um, I think I'll go. And uh, we went down. Uh, we worked with some inner city kids. Um, and I fell in love with our missionary, bless you, Wanderly. Um, just, uh, I call them burning bush people. Um, there's, there's certain people in my life that, uh, that I uh, feel are like the burning bush that uh, Moses uh, received the law from on Mount Sinai. Um, my father, uh, Ted Kitchens, Daryl Holden, um, bless you, Wanderly, Gary Randall. There are certain people in my life that um, I desire to be around. Um, and Les You Wanderly is one of those guys. And uh, I just enjoyed seeing his heart and seeing him so excited about what he was doing um, that uh, I wanted to be a part of it. You know, I'm, I, I'm a spiritual remora. I find people who have a love for God and I attach myself to them uh, so that I can get some of the benefit. Um, and we came back from that mission trip and, um, you know, uh, didn't really think much about it. I went back to my practice, busy as always, things were clicking. Um, uh, they started talking about going back in 2004. Um, and I thought, yeah, why not? Um, yeah, I enjoyed that last time. It really was. It was good to be away from here. It was good to be away from cell phones and deadlines. And for 10 days, I did nothing but really focus on serving God and being as small as I could be and trying to uh, help um, these children and these families in these favelas. Um, went back in 2004, had a, another great experience, enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't until I came back in 2004 that um, you know I, my heart started to change a little bit. And... Um, you know, uh, I wanted to help Les you out. Um, I hear I look at this poor missionary. Um, you know, he's barely making ends meet. He's trying to do all these things. He has all these great dreams, but he has no infrastructure to make it happen. You know, that's what I'm good at. You know, I like to solve everybody's problems whether they ask me to or not. Um, that's what my wife um, uh, fights with me about all the time. Um, but, you know, I saw Leshu, and he had a heart for uh, ministry to these children. He has a heart for Christian camping. Um, he had this dream called Volunteers for Christ. And it was a name he came up with when he was in seminary 20 years ago in Recife, Brazil. 
And he talked about it, and I had heard about it in 2003, and I heard about it in 2004. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm a lawyer. Um, I can, you know, file corporation papers. And, you know, um, his sending agency takes 20% of everything that he raises, um, and they put a cap on what he can raise. And I thought, you know, if, if I got a 501c3, nonprofit status corporation, that we could um, – you know, raise money and give to Leshu to help him do what he's doing, and we could give 100% of it, and, you know, that would be a good thing, and it wouldn't take too much of my time. So, of course, that took me a year to do, um, and, and I was just doing it just to kind of say, hey, Leshu, I'm going to throw you a bone. Um, I did this Volunteers for Christ thing, uh, got the nonprofit status, and uh, if any of your supporters want to route money through us, you know, I'd be glad to help, you know, facilitate that. Um, in 2004, um, 2005, uh, I was visiting with some friends in Dallas, and um, it's uh, my, my Kairos moment. Um, Kairos is a Greek word that means uh, the good uh, and perfect timing. Um, I'm watching this uh, DVD from Cube. It's a ministry over in, in Dallas. It's a great thing um, if, if you ever go on a mission trip. But um, I'm watching this DVD, and there's all these guys, um, you know, the 40-something white guy with the overbite. You know, they, they're all in Africa, um, and they're talking about why they're there. And this phrase kept coming up. And it just it went right to my heart. And I sit there, and I hear these guys talking about, I've been successful, um, but I'm looking for a life of significance. Little did I know they had stolen all this from Lloyd Reeves' book and, and, you know, uh, Bob Buford's book, Halftime and Success and Significance. I'd never read those books. But um, they kept talking about, I've I've gotten everything I've wanted in life. I've, I've been successful. I've gone to the top of the, I own my own business, my, you know, I have a beautiful wife and kids, and, um, you know, it's not, it's not filling the void within me. I, I've been successful. I want a life of significance. And I started crying. And the folks we were with said, um, wow, that, that DVD really moved you. And I, I said, man, it's that phrase, success to significance. You know, that's what I want. And uh, he said, you know what, you need to read a book. And he gave me uh, Bob Buford's book called Halftime. And um, if I forget to tell you, I I brought copies. If anybody would like one, I I would love to give you one. I mean, don't have enough for everybody, but um, I do have about 30 copies. Um, And I read this book, and um, it, it validated so many things that had been going on in my life that I didn't even realize that God was working on me. And it made me aware that I needed to um, start making some changes, um, that I had a heart um, that God gave me. He gave me, um, he's prepared good works in advance for me to do, and I kind of felt like it was an Easter egg hunt. I needed to figure out what they were. Um, my first half was coming to an end. And, you know, a lot of you guys may be in the first half. Um, you may be beyond it. I don't know where you are. But 
I started thinking about the first half, and one of the things they talk about in, in the book, Success and Significance, is if you died today, what do you think your tombstone would say? What would people say about you? Would they say that you were um, you know, a hard worker, that you were um, a go-getter, that you um, uh, provided for your family, um, that you were uh, a good soccer coach? And I'm not belittling any of those things, but I just wonder if you died today, what would your tombstone say? Um, there's a professor, uh, there's another book called Finishing Well. Uh, you find out another thing about me is that I do paralysis by analysis. Once I get into something, I kill the spirit by uh, loading in my plan and my uh, attack on everything. So I read everything, and then I re-outline and organize it. Then I talk to 2,000 people, and I filter this all through you know, a, a public data system and then uh, try to come up with a conclusion at the end. But um, the Harvard professor, um, he takes the smartest and brightest students to the MBA program. These guys are the cutthroat guys in the world, guys and gals. And he asked them the first uh, week of class, he said, uh, what do you want out of life? And typical responses, you know, I want to uh, be the best, make the most money, have the fastest car, have five homes, you know, have my own business, do this, do that. It's, it's all geared toward what most of us would call success. And near the end of the class, he asked them, excuse me, near the end of the year, he asked the class a similar question. He says, if you only had two weeks to live, what would you do in those two weeks? And almost without exception, people say that they would um, mend relationships, they would visit loved ones, they would spend time with friends, and they would get right with God. And his point in doing this exercise is, what you would do in those last two weeks, that's your core values. That's who God created you to be. All this other stuff that we spend all this time doing feedback off my belt buckle, maybe. Um, All this stuff that we spend other time doing is is busy work, you know, and I think it's Satan's way of keeping us um, from having the better life. What would you do if you had two weeks? Those are the things that are the most important to you, and I think we spend so much time doing things that we think we have to do and we put those things aside that, that we're going to do that when we uh, retire. We're going to do that when we get some time. And, um, man, I'm here to tell you, if you don't take control of your life and find some margin uh, for the things that God created you to do, you're, you're, going, to, you're going to end up being unhappy. Um, and that's kind of what I did. I dropped off into what I call my halftime. Um, I tried to start figuring out um, what it is that God created me to do. Um, this is a parallel, and this is a point I want to make to you. This is, 
I'm not advocating, and, and, it, and it is for some people. Ken Miller's one of them. Uh, Daryl Holden's one of them. Daryl was a lawyer. Ken was an advertising guy. Um, they left their avocation to come in and take over their, um, their love and their passion, which was being a minister. Um, I think that for most of us, it's more of a parallel career um, that you do what you do um, in your work life, uh, but there is certainly a parallel track that's there available to serve God. And how that looks is different for everybody. Um, you can serve in your workplace. You could. Um, I've read so many great books. The Great Commission Companies talks about how these guys have taken for-profit and non-for-profit businesses and used them to further God's kingdom. Um, real estate folks, mortgage companies, I mean, it's, it's great stuff. You don't have to give up all the training and skills and education and experience and things you're good at. I don't think God gave us this experience and these skills and these talents to ask us to abandon them to go follow him. Now, he has asked some people. Um, you know, uh, some of our life stage pastors, you know, were in the working world, and they left that to follow God and be ministers. Um, that's not me. Um, during this <clears throat> during this halftime process, um, and I don't want to get into all the things that I did, but, um, you know... There's four or five things that you really need to concentrate on. You need to figure out what you're passionate about. Um, you need to figure out what your skills and talents are. You need to figure out what floats your boat. Um, what do you enjoy doing and what are you good at? You need to figure out, um, you know, you need to figure out what it is, you know, your spiritual gifts. Um, I look at you know I, I look at Cameron Jones. Um, you know Cameron likes to hunt and fish, and uh, he figured out a way to make that into a ministry. Legacy Outfitters. Uh, I know there's um, some men here in, in Mighty Men. There's uh, the Adventure Ministry. Um, you know uh, Bo loves to hunt and fish. He figured out a way to make that into a ministry. Um, you know David Breedlove. You heard from last week. Uh, Chris Groff is here, I think, and you know Chris um, has a a heart for uh, helping uh, parents be better parents. Um, he, he's turned that into a ministry. Um, you know, there's so many things you could do. I mean, if you're a stockbroker or you're a banker or you're a real estate commercial development guy, Landry Burdine, my partner in crime in Volunteers for Christ, I mean, he's a commercial real estate guy. Um, you know, we're developing 33 acres in Brazil for a Christian camp. Um, it's not by accident that God put Brazil on his heart and, you know, put me alongside Landry to, to make those kind of things happen. Um, you can use whatever it is that you feel that is your God-given skills and talents, um, and you can use that um, for furthering God's kingdom. I don't want to practice law in furthering God's kingdom. Someone tried to pigeonhole me into a... Uh, why don't you go work for West Texas Legal Services or go work for um, one of the religious organizations about fighting for religious rights uh, because you're such a good lawyer and you've done all these things. And I said, you know, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to practice law, you know, that, that part of it. But what I am good at is that I'm good at organizing and planning. And I love, I think I have the spiritual gift of, um, uh, of hosting of hospitality. I like to package things up and, you know, all four years of college, I took probably 100 people from the University of Texas on spring break. 
certainly was not a godly mission. But <laughs> I, uh, but you know, I look back on it and I just, I, I, I just, God's so amazing that all my life I have been organizing trips and people and been in charge of this and 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 you know, one of my gifts is leadership. Um, whether people like it or not, I make myself a leader. Um, and if they don't succumb to my will, then I, you know, dominate them and make them get in line. Um, <laughs> Lest you calls me the benevolent white dictator of Brazil. Um, so, uh, and God's working on me and softening my heart there too. But um, during this halftime, uh, I tried to figure out what it was I was good at, what I was passionate about, and how would that look? And people say, you know, I'm, you know, I, I, uh, um, I'm passionate about um, taking vacations. I like to go travel. That was one of my passions. And going to Brazil fits that for me. Um, I think that's why maybe serving it here locally is not something that really lights me up. Um, you know, I, I'm passionate about... Um, about children, um, about education, and uh, helping people that can't help themselves. That's why I like, um, why I like being a trial lawyer. I like finding people who need help. They need someone to come alongside them and be their protector um, to m- try to make things right, to help out. Um, and I found all of that in Brazil. Uh, I wasn't looking for it. I mean, please don't don't misunderstand me that I was on any mission. Uh, I just thought because I had a lot of money and I had some free time, you know, I might as well go on a mission trip. That sounded like a good thing. People would think I'm a good guy. Um, and um, God used that to change my heart. In 2004, Daryl said, um, hey, I'd like you and Cindy to get more involved. Um, you know, uh, help me out leading this trip. Uh, in 2005... Um, we, Daryl kind of let it be known that, you know, he might be leaving the church. Um, and I may have the dates wrong, so I don't want to get him in trouble. But, um, you know, he said, I need you and Cindy to take a bigger leadership role. And I didn't want to do it because it was ruining my experience. I didn't want to be in charge. I like going along and not being in charge. It was, you know, uh, someone's lying. I'm looking for a job with the least amount of responsibility. Well, you know what? That's what I was looking for. That's one of the things I liked about going to Brazil is that I wasn't in charge. I didn't care what time the bus got there and what time breakfast was or what time we were leaving the kids' place. Uh, that was Daryl's job. You know, I was glad to go anywhere and everywhere they wanted me to be, but I didn't want to be in charge. And Daryl said, I need you to do this. Um, so in 2006, um, you know, Cindy and I took 30 people from Christ Chapel. Um, we flew, you know, 24 hours uh, to Recife, Brazil, um, and we, without uh, any church leadership, by the way, you know, I, I wish somebody from the church had been there. I figured that I was going to single-handedly ruin the best mission trip that we had at Christ Chapel. Um, and my wife was fairly convinced that I was going to ruin it. And uh, this year, uh, we took 34 people from Christ Chapel. We had uh, another 26 join us from Michigan. Uh, Daryl's a pastor now. Um, you know, I've entered into my second half. I, I think I'm out of halftime. Um, 
I don't know if this is what God wants me to be doing with my life. I do feel um, significant doing it. I think it uses my skills and talents. Um, you know, organizing international airfare, you know, for 37 people, uh, taking men, women, and children, um, and getting them through international airports and getting them prepared, um, you know, to experience everything that they can out of that trip. I mean, I hate dealing with the airlines. I hate organize. I, I hate the details. But what I love about it and what I think, you know, it's not working with the kids even. It's not doing the VBS. I don't like to cut out butterflies and glue things. You know, that's, that's not me. What I love doing and what I love about Brazil and what I love about what God is allowing me to do is he's allowing me to turn other people on. I love seeing Jim Riefel, you know, playing with kids and being excited about taking his family to Brazil. I love um, having someone like Jeff Radican say, um, man, um, we want to take our family to spring break. We want to go to Brazil with you. I love watching people say, oh, no, I'm not raising support to go on a trip. I'll write a check, but I, God forbid I'd have to ask anybody to support me in going down there. And I said, let me help you. Let me show you what God's going to do. I mean, I love watching God work. And I get to see God at work in Brazil. I think if Jesus came back to earth, he probably wouldn't be at Christ Chapel. He probably wouldn't even be in Fort Worth. I see him in the slums in Brazil. I see him with those children and those women. And I really feel that that's God's heart is for those children. And, you know, we're trying to do, you know, we're there for seven to ten days. Don't kid yourself. You know, we're not making some massive impact. And that's, you know, 2003, 4, 5, 6. Going those years, you know, we started the 501c3 just as a conduit to get some money to less you. But then I thought, well, you know, um, we could do a little bit more. Um, we need our own kids' place. Um, we, maybe we need our own building. We started looking at buying real estate. And, and, and I'm just going to run through some things. And, I, and please understand that this is not me. I mean, this is so not me that I'm sure you'll see it. But this is God working. Um, and this is the exciting thing about being involved when you make yourself available and say, God, I'm willing to give you some of my time, talent, and my treasure. Um, we, we have bought, um, we, we've never asked for any money from anybody um, to raise any specific support. Um, uh, through the last two years' mission trips and through people uh, that have been on this trip, uh, we've received over $200,000 in contributions for this ministry. Um, we, we have a great website that uh, a couple that went on the trip uh, donated their time. They're hosting it. Um, it's amazing. It, it's tons better than, you know, my law firm website that I, you know, I don't think Dan's here, but I paid a lot of money to have that done. Um, and, uh, you know, and I spend more time looking at the Volunteers for Christ website uh, than I do my own. Um, 
you know, and, and watching everyone else get plugged in. Greg Simons, who doesn't go to this church, he's my videographer. He went two years ago and shot over 100 hours of uh, video and has been putting it together to give us some kind of informational pieces to show to people about encouraging them to go to Brazil and serve. Um, you know, we, we, we met a lawyer. We had to... We had to get a lawyer. Um, we had to form a Brazilian corporation. We have a lawyer. We have a board in Brazil. Um, the lawyer was also a pastor. Um, and uh, and actually, he needs to meet David Breedlove because he's a big Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, and they're almost built the same. Um, and uh, I'd be careful with him. But um, um, Antenor um, uh, is one of those guys that's on fire for God. Uh, he's another burning bush guy in my life. Um, and uh, we bought two buildings. We bought 6,000 square feet of buildings, and we're, re- you know, we've been tearing them up for the last three weeks, um, and we're going to be rehabbing them, and we're going to open our own children's facility. It's going to be a hope farm in Brazil. Um, and I look back and say, how awesome is God? I've been volunteering at Hope Farm for probably seven years um, and tutoring the kids, and I loved Gary, and I loved the kids, but, you know, that wasn't really my deal. And I told him, I said, you know, I'd really like to be on the board. And I begged and pleaded and prodded, and and I got asked to be on the board two years ago. And all of this is training for what I'm doing in Brazil, being around Gary Randall, seeing how he works with children, how he's raising godly children and affecting their families. I mean, um, you know, everything in my life has brought me to this point. My legal career, my, my college career, my high school. I mean, everything in my life is coming in and being used in Brazil. Um, I can't do websites. That's Andrew McCarthy. I don't film. That's Greg Simons. Uh, I don't do real estate. That's Landry Burdine. Um, Jared Shope went last year, and he uh, went again this year, and um, he flew down on his own nickel two months ago to meet with the architects and engineers to walk through that building because he's a construction guy. And he said, man, I would love to go down there. And he met with them and made sure that what they were doing was kind of what we wanted to be doing. Um, I, I couldn't do that. Um, we, we purchased 33 acres, and, and this is the kicker. We purchased 33 acres. I say we. Leshy Wanderley sold his apartment, took the money from that, and bought this 33 acres. Everything in Brazil takes seven to eight years to happen. I mean, if you are trying to get an apartment, it may take you seven or eight years. If you're trying to get a bus to pick you up, it may take seven or eight years. Um, it is a different... Um, if you're talking about God's timing not being your timing, go to Brazil. That will also soften you up and relax you. Um, but um, uh, we bought 33 acres, and, and unless you went and did it, he didn't ask for anyone's permission. Um, that's what he, you know, he wanted to do. And I thought, oh my God, there's a man that has nothing. He has a, a new b- baby. Um, what is he doing, spending that much money? And we're never going to get. The, we can't even get, you know, a, a bus to show up at the same time every day. How in the world are we going to master plan 33 acres? You know, in the hills outside of Brazil, uh, outside of Recife, Brazil. It's never going to happen. And I took some comfort in that because I knew I'd never have to worry about it. Um, came back in 2005 to report to the missions committee um, what the mission trip and how it went and, you know, how great it was. And at the end of the deal, I said, yeah, and we got this property and, you know, we're going to build a Christian camp someday. And, you know, 
not real sure when that's going to happen, but I'm sure it's going to be after my lifetime. And, um, you know, thank you very much. Well, a young couple that was there that were getting ready to go in the mission field, he came to me and said, hey, there's an organization called EMI, Engineering Ministries International, out of Colorado Springs, and that's what they do. Um, if it involves international, God, and children, they're interested. So uh, I looked at their website. looked interesting. Uh, it, they're made up of uh, like 16,000 engineers, architects, design professionals from all over the United States who basically are interested in doing working mission trips. Landry Burdine, being a commercial real estate guy and putting proposals together, I said, Landry, would you fill out this very lengthy application and send it in and let's see what happens. And, and I'm, I'm going to run through this, not to bore you, but, but it's important, the timing of it, that we made our application in December of 2005. In January of 2005, they asked for some more information. February, I mean, uh, January 2006. February 2006, they said, um, we're interested. We've never done something that big. Um, we've never done a camp. We usually do one building, a church, a clinic, a school. Um, but uh, we're going to put you on the calendar for December of 2008. Ugh. Luckily, I was thinking, that's far enough away. You know, you know, I don't have to worry about that right now. But I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. Well, then they kept calling back to Landry and saying, well, this thing in Tanzania fell through, this thing in uh, the U.K. fell through, this thing. And, and they kept moving the date up until where it was, um, they were thinking um, Thanksgiving of 2006. And now, and this all happens in about 60 days, which makes me very nervous. Um, because we have to commit to them that if they come and do the work, that we're going to use it, you know. So, you know, I said, well, you know, you started this, you know, you can't quit. Um, so we said, yeah, Thanksgiving, you know, and somebody has to go from Volunteers for Christ. Um, and I'm thinking, well, I'll go. I can do that in November. Um, he said, we have to post your trip because it takes six to eight months to get people to, you know, get their calendars cleared and yada, yada, yada. So in April of 2006, they posted our trip on their website. In 10 days, he called us back and he said, um, we've had over 60 people apply to go on this mission trip. Um, we've closed the trip. We have 16 people, uh, which is almost twice as many as we said we needed, um, and they want to go in June. Is that workable? <laughs> and I still get chills. I'm like, Wow. And I couldn't go. <laughs> so I thought, good, it won't happen, you know. Because um, I had a trial that was not, it was, it was going to go to trial. It's one of the few times in my life I knew this was going to go to trial. Um, and Landry is pregnant with twins, not Landry, Elizabeth. Um, and uh, Landry looked like he was pregnant with twins. But um, Landry, I uh, told Landry about it, and he said, dude, I'm in. Um, I'll go. Um, he, he's, he works by himself. He, he doesn't, you know, if he's not here working, he's not getting anything done. He and Elizabeth took off for 12 days, flew to Brazil. 16 people from all of the United States who had never met each other raised their own money, brought all their engineering computers and CAD software and their surveying equipment and their laser this and their doodad that. 
fly to Sao Paulo from 16 different places in the United States, somehow got to Recife, Brazil, and spent 10 days on the ground at that property. They surveyed every foot of the 33 acres, did a one-foot-by-one-foot survey. They surveyed and tagged every tree, every bush, and identified it. They did water sampling. They did soil sampling. They did civil engineering. Five architects worked in a, in a, there's an old kind of abandoned house on the property that we had rigged Brazilian style with kite string and, and paper clips, you know, electrical line into this house, which they all hooked their computers up to. And five um, architects, one from Stanford, one from Harvard, even one from Texas A&M, um, uh, bringing the level down. Um, but five architects spent seven days almost nonstop doing nothing but master planning this whole 33 acres. At the end of the week, um, they had um, three-dimensional drawings. They had the whole thing planned out, four different phases. It has an orphanage there. It has a kid's place. It's got 37 buildings. I mean, it has a... It, it is... I, and I've never been to Candy Cut. I've never been to a camp in my life. I never went to Young Life. Um, I went to Camp Bamey, and I worked for my dad. So uh, that was my, my summer camp project. Um, and, and these guys turned out this amazing product and it didn't cost a penny. These men and women donated. They have to keep track of it because they get federal funding, but it's several hundred thousand dollars um, of professional time and services. We, we were responsible for their food, lodging, and transportation while they were there. It was $7,600. And we got a 37, 47-page book that has everything broken down, and I've never done a commercial project, but that's what Landry says they do. This is it. This is how you do it. Um, and here's the cost breakdown per building, per phase, per unit. They went to every supply house, priced brick, wiring. You know, I mean, this may be all you know, old hats you guys that build, but to me, I was like, wow. They, they do all that, and they, and they can actually figure out what this cabin cost um, it's amazing it, amphitheater, chapel it's got a river running through it it's got this ropes course it's got uh, 20 uh, different uh, uh, camp buildings for the kids it's got 10 family chalets it's got a gymnasium it's got this, it's got that it's got 4 buildings for orphanages which is our final phase um, it is lest you wanderly's dream on paper blown away That was June of 2006. In August of 2007, we got the final set of plans. They spent over a year after they were down there communicating with their computers, doing everything. We went through two revisions, and now we have the complete blueprint. We have the blueprint. We know the cost, and now um, we're out there raising money to build this camp. Um, we've got a kid's place that's going to be open. Um, you know, guys, uh, I'm just kind of somewhere in my second half, but, man... It is a beautiful thing when you find God's sweet spot and you find where that is. And you don't have to go to Brazil. I mean, people say, you know, that's a waste of money, Brandon, to go to Brazil. It costs so much. You could do so much more here in Fort Worth. And I say, man, you know what? That's, you're right, but that's not me. And you've got to figure out what it is that God created you to do. 
God created good works in advance for you to do. He knew exactly his plans for you, you know, before you were born. And you need to start being deliberate and trying to figure out what it is that God wants to do through you and with you. Um, my, I'm not a vision caster. I, I don't have any vision. That's why I love Ted. That's why I love Gary Randall. That's why I love Leshu Wanderley. But I tell you what, I can come alongside someone that I buy into their vision, like Leshu's, and say, hey, man, can I help you? Can I help you do that? Um, you know, we, uh, um, we're flying Leshu up here for two months. He's going to visit every church that supports him in five different uh, states going to be here for a month. Um, he's telling them that he's leaving the mission organization that he's been with for 18 years to be a missionary for Volunteers for Christ. That's awesome stuff. So what's the final score and what's the outcome? What do I want my tombstone to read? I know what people may put on it in my first half, but through my second half, I would love for my tombstone to read something like, Well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to be all used up when it's said and done. I don't want anything left over. I don't want anything to go to waste. I want my life to be filled with the lives of others. Um, I surround myself with people like Julie Miller, who's been for four years, and Cindy Kaysen, and Jared Shope, and watching these folks get turned on about being in God's service, working with these children, using their skills, Linda Riefel, the Riefel family, all the other families that have gone to Brazil, I love watching them get turned on. That's what gives me a charge. I hate the details of getting there, and I hate making people show up at meetings, and I hate going through um, you know, preparation for that mission trip, but I know they need that to get the full experience, to get all the meat off the bone. Um, I want to be in alignment with God's will for my life, and I'm trying to figure out what that is, and I want to encourage you guys to do that. Um, it's a great thing, and you don't have to leave your job, and you don't have to leave your family, and you know what? You better... Make sure that whatever it is, that you are equally yoked with your wife and that she, that you include her vision in what you're trying to do. Don't run off and leave. Um, That's one of the things I had to stop and do. I had to stop and go back and include my wife in going forward because I had ran out and it was all about me and I forgot my partner. Um, And so we're we're working on this together and we do this together. we're going to take two trips to Brazil this year. We're going to be planting a church in a fishing village. Um, it's crazy. It is so not me. It is, has nothing to do with me. I feel like I'm hanging on the tail of a 747, and I'm just praying to God that he doesn't you know, let me go. I mean, I, I want to work, and I want to help, and I want to do it, but I say, God, you know, you're moving too fast for me. Um, I would have never thought in 2003... Um, that I'd be here in 2007 standing in front of you men um, telling you about a ministry in Brazil that, um, that God's um, making happen. Um, and I'm just glad to be a part of it. Um, find your sweet spot. Find God's sweet spot for your life. It's a great thing, guys. Um, I appreciate your time. Um, I've got some books, and, and, and there's some people. Jim Phillips is one. Um, 
uh, Pete Chambers. There's some guys that have been working on halftime and trying to help mentor and um, you know, uh, trying to figure out what it is that God wants us to do with our lives. If you have any interest in, um, you know, getting a halftime book or something, I'm not making any royalties. Uh, I just believe in it. Um, you know, uh, I'd be glad to give you a copy of the book. But um, thank you very much for your time, and I love you guys. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for uh, your work. And I was struck by what Brandon said just a few minutes ago. He loves watching you work. And Father, I pray that for every man in this room, that we would get to the point in our lives where we love watching you work through us, in us, around us. And so, Father, I just ask that you would... uh, work in our hearts and our lives that we would want to get on board and in touch with what you're doing and what you have planned us to do, why you created us in the first place, to do the good works that you've mapped out ahead of time. Thank you for Brandon. I pray your blessing on his ministry. And, Father, continue to do your work through his life. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.